Herd, mob, or pack mentality describes how people can be influenced by their peers to adopt certain behaviors on a largely emotional rather than rational basis. Today on the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, we're talking about this as an active element in our daily experience and pack mentality from a practical aspect. I'm Ron Powell McLean, and hello and welcome to my co-host, Danny Hobart. Uh, well, I gotta say the birds are chirping, the sun is out, and the wind is blowing. In this very moment, it's pretty nice. Beautiful today. It is. Yesterday was beautiful too. Yeah. It's nice to feel some of that, have some of that. I like it. I think we've earned it. I think everybody's earned that at this point. <laughs> a little a little ease, a little rest, a little <laughs> Little comfort, little creature comforts. Little nature comfort. Feels feels like you could go outside and it's not dangerous. Yes, know? yes. Well, until you go to a store, and I did go to a few yesterday with my my mask on, and there was, you know, definitely just the the folks that are are just stubborn and not going to, they're not going to try. So. I've, I dealt a little bit with the anxiety of that and trying to maintain my peace and calm based on my own actions. Yeah, that go all right? You know, it was a little, <laughs> it was a little stressful. <laughs> a little stressful? A little yeah. stressful. Well, yeah. So it kind of leads us a little bit into this, you know, this idea of this pack mentality that there's this what I'm perceiving as this validation of I can be stubborn and I can be, I can have, you know, just general misdeeds because everybody else is doing it. So that's as old as the first, you know, the first guy that had a dinner party had that experience, right? Like, or the first rally against, you know, what caveman was going to be in charge that day. Right. Uh, momentum, the, the strength in numbers, you know, all these ideas. Right. They seem to sort of blow in like the wind, you know. And I think, you know, when we can, when we're giving, you know, each other validation, you know, when we just adopt a, a collective opinion, we don't seem to be doing each other or ourselves any favors. Well, and there's comfort in not having to make a decision for yourself, right? It's sure. easy. It's easy. So easy to just say, yeah, that's what, how everybody does it. So I'm going to do it. And if there's a mistake or it's wrong or it's not thoughtful, you, you sort of have that, that, that fallback position that, yeah, everybody, everybody else did it. So, I'm right. no worse than they are. You we know? all decided to screw up, so it's everyone's fault, which That's means right. it's no one's fault. Share the blame. Group, group <laughs> think, group think, whatever. There's probably 800,000, you know, psychological qualifications, quantifications for this idea. So, you know, as, as I do <laughs> when I'm, um, 
disjointed <laughs> about a topic like this. I, you know, I endeavor to use my Buddhist practice to try and understand and understand my my future action based on these ideas. So I I think we may have talked about this before, but you know, one of the the things that drew me to a Buddhist practice was one of the first teachings or quotes from the Buddha. And we can get into the hagiography of that later, but the idea was never trust what you have been told, no matter who told it to you. And the Buddha said, don't believe anything I said or that I say. And so this is exemplified in the Kalama Sutra, which teaches us to investigate the Dharma for ourselves by putting it into practice. So this is not to, to say dismiss what you don't like and adopt only what you like. The sutra addresses elements like greed, aversion, and delusion by asking if they arise or do not arise in a person and if that quality is for harm or for welfare or if it's skillful, unskillful, blameworthy, blameless, criticized by the wise or praised by the wise, and whether it's adopted and carried out if it leads to the welfare and happiness of everyone. So it says, don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability or by thought. This, this contemplative is our teacher. When you know for yourselves that these qualities are unskillful, these qualities are blameworthy, these qualities are criticized by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. And when you know for yourself that these qualities are skillful, these qualities are blameless, these qualities are praised by the wise, these qualities, when adopted and carried out, lead to welfare and happiness of all, then you should enter and remain in them. So we don't need, to, we can quit reading books and stuff, right? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, it's, you know, this, this guides us to our own self-inquiry that really is our own internal compass. So I, I often say we're awakening the teacher, we're awakening the guru within each of us by taking the posture of our practice. And that posture is that posture of self-inquiry. What is right, wise, complete, and true in this situation? And not guided by just emotion or 
like and dislike? Your mind. Your mind is your enemy. I watched a great uh, YouTube video of a younger, younger-ish monk in uh, in a, a monastery up in Washington State, and she talked about how <clears throat> she was about two years into her practice and she realized at that point she was having you know a lot of suffering and discomfort and sitting with it and meditating and realized that she was basically in the ring in a boxing ring with the hulk and it was her versus her mind and that's what you know what you're talking about with likes and dislikes and uh, you know prejudice or judgments or whatever that comes out of it uh, that's what you're talking about right well, and we, you know, when we just mindlessly adopt that which seems to be the popular opinion. Sure. Which, which is, um, that's your mind too, right? Saying this is the best way for you to survive. It, it subconsciously. Right. It's not as if you have some thought that's like, oh, look, right outside my house right now when we're talking there's a giant angry mom running down the street with pitchforks and right. i'm gonna uh, you know what i'm gonna go ahead and go join them right now because that's a good idea it's <laughs> looks like a party <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what they're doing but it looks like the right thing to do like you know it's not that but it's subconsciously right and so so much of what we do is subconscious and is built into sort of our mind our body our existence whatever that is uh, to keep us alive, right? And so if you're in a big group doing the same thing, guess what? Yeah, you might have a better shot at survival. So maybe this is a good thing. You think? I feel like there's a bit of it too that's um, an innate laziness that, you know, it's, it's tiring sometimes to be present and responsible. It's tiring to show up and take upon yourself the inquiry of what's what's really going on there. It's it's easy these days to you know pick a channel, you know pick a news channel and adopt the opinion of what the banter is day in and day out on that channel. So you can get a, you know, a, a collective opinion by the network that you subscribe to. You can get the same thing from your circle of friends. We always, you know, say that we're only as good as the people we surround ourselves with. And if that, you know, collective opinion is one of agreed laziness, instead of responsibility you know i don't i don't want to recycle i don't want to go through the pro the trouble of recycling my glass because you know i i read an article that says they don't really recycle that anyway they just throw it in with the other trash rather than to you know inquire what's really going example. on what's what's example, really yeah. going on i think we you mm -hmm. know there's and, you know, not everything is a coronavirus, 
you know, sometimes it's, you know, just an opinion of, you know, a, an Octomom figure that, you know, gets sensationalized on, you know, on social media and on, you know, on a particular news channel or that we, you know, adopt what, whatever that, that collective thinking is around that individual rather than making our own decision. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this idea of the investigating things for yourself uh, is also, ex can be extremely overwhelming and tiring, right? Because like you say, you can do it for, well, is my glass bottle really being recycled? But I also put plastic in there, but I also put cardboard in there from Amazon boxes or uh, from shipping boxes, but I have cardboard from uh, packing from the furniture and it's 10 times thicker. And, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole these days, thanks to the internet, you can go down the rabbit hole on literally anything, the smallest to the biggest. Um, so I, that came to mind when you were talking about that. It's a beautiful example. And then I thought, man, I, I do that, right? Like I do that. I get on the internet and I'm interested in a thing. And all of a sudden, two hours later, I'm lost in, lost in space on it. No, you know, so, uh, but the principle is obviously sound, you know, uh, it is always better to be better. I gotta, shouldn't put judgment on that. Um, it's skillful. It's a, it's the skillful practice to, uh, contemplate, uh, the issues that are in front of you. Right. It's skillful to certainly to listen to opinions and to listen to two or three or four sides of an issue. It's, these are all important things, but then even more skillful to, to draw your own conclusion, do your own investigation. I, you know, I've adopted that from my own practice as I, you know, I'm a bit of a skeptic. I, you know, I don't know if I come across as a skeptic, but I, you know, I look at what I adopt before I adopt it. I think that um, there's, you know, a lot of thought that goes into my actions. And when I first started endeavoring to, you know, explore the path of Buddhism, I noticed that there were a few things going on. Like there was, a, say, a sutra like this. That's the original sutra, probably in Tibetan or Sanskrit, depending on which, you know, how old it is. And then there are translations of that, which there can be multiple translations, and it can be one word translation that changes my perception or meaning of it. Yeah. And then on top of that, then we have books that are written as commentary on those translations. So we have layers that go. So when I think about or contemplate an idea 
that's being presented in one of these Buddhist teachings, I often try to find the, the most plain version of the translation that I can find because I don't read Sanskrit or Tibetan. It's kind of shameful, really, but... By the way, real Buddhists can read all Tibetan and all Sanskrit. I'm just, I mean, I heard that on the internet. Well, you know, if we've, if we've been reincarnated since then, we, we probably, you know, wrote that stuff, created it even. <laughs> anyway, so like, and, and just as a, as an aside, I actually have looked into trying to learn Tibetan and there's not a lot of great resources anyway so <laughs> yeah because yeah, I'm that guy so because I would love to read the original the original version and make my own decision based on that rather than a translation and you know example of that is dukkha the word dukkha which is you know a, a really important term in our path and it's most often translated as suffering. So right. we, we say, you know, the Four Noble Truths is about, you know, the existence and remedy of suffering. But then if you really look at the, the word and retranslate it into, you know, what we understand and know now, it can be discomfort, dissatisfaction, disillusion. Yeah, that's a much much different meaning right they all fit under the umbrella of suffering to some degree or level right right but but in general yes that's much different right yeah yeah and, uh, and really i mean it the 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 word the word dukkha means a wheel that binds a wheel that binds so it's like a wheel that doesn't want to turn it's you know locked up with grit or sand, which is which is even different than discomfort. That's right. just something that's not working. Right, exactly. Not working as intended. Broken. <laughs> Broken. Broken. Fair enough. It's, right. It's WD forty. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know there was a one of the very first Buddhist books I read, uh, Buddhism Plain and Simple, uh, by Steve. What's his name? I forgot it right now. But uh, he talks about the word. There's a Tibetan or Sanskrit word. I think it's Tibetan for loving kindness. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. I should have researched Meta. this. Meta. Mm -hmm. But he says it's not really, it's not, doesn't really translate right. He goes, right. that's sort of the closest thing you can get, but it's not really the meaning. And kind of the Western version. Right. Uh, somebody spun it or did their very best to translate it in like you said, wouldn't it be cool to really be able to put that in context of get as close to the source as you can. Right. So yeah. often when I'm on that path and I'm looking at, you know, specific sutra or teaching, I, you know, I try to get the closest that I can to, you know, reading the, the translation and, and what it's actually saying. And then I like to read commentaries, but I read multiple. I mean, you know, I think about my, you know, as I endeavored into the, the teaching of the 37 practices of all the bodhisattvas, there are three versions that 
that I read the commentaries to, and they're different. They're vastly different. So I read Lama Surya Das's commentary on it. I read um, Tubton Children's version and Ken McLeod's version, um, which is um, Reflections on Silver River. Um, and they're all different and they're all valid and they're all worthy of understanding, but they have a bit of a different slant. So the different interpretation of the author. So it's, it's good to endeavor into what does this actually mean? And what are the, you know, what are the different thoughts on it? Not looking for the collective thought. I'm not looking for the most popular thought. I'm looking for my understanding of what these teachings actually represent. And then does that feel wise when carried out? Well, that is wisdom, isn't it? Right. Isn't, the, isn't doing that actually practicing the wisdom? Yes, because it's really, you know, we're, we're looking at it through, you know, if we look at it through the Eightfold Path, we're looking to, to have wise and complete action because we have wise and complete view and understanding of the truth of that matter. I wish I knew Sanskrit or Tibetan so I could read the Vajrasattva mantra in its mm -hmm. original. You know, uh, you can you can look at it. It's mostly the same, but you know, there's got to be some translational parts in it. But that's yes. we we as English speakers deal with. You know, we just get translations. So right, right. And it's good to hear, you know, the masters teach those, yeah, those things yeah. too, because you know they have been handed down. You know, that's part of the benefit of a lineage, that you know those teachings have been handed down from one to the next, to the next, to the next, and you know, an understanding, you know, I you know I call it leaving a, a light a lamp on the path for those to follow. So lineage helps to do that. A beautiful, beautiful um, illustration, beautiful uh, thought. They've left these, everybody's left these little gifts for us and they pass it down to their, through their lineage, through their students and the teachers. And it's really wonderful to think about that. And to think about, you know, this is, we're going on 2,500 years of teaching just, just puts a neat perspective on it. Yeah. But that's a lot of time for a lot of people to put their two cents in on what stuff means. Absolutely. And, you know, and to try it on. I think that that's a, you know, part of the, the testament to me is that these things have been worthy enough when tried on and put into practice by people all along the path that said, yep, I, I, I feel like this is true and I will hand it, hand it forward.
you know, the approach I take uh, with that is I'm happy to read things. All of it to me, uh, I'll read and ingest and, you know, co-op whatever parts work for me. And that may be my own spin on Buddhism in my head. Who knows? But I find, you know, there's no judgment in the practice for doing that. And it's exactly going back to what you said, that, that Buddha himself, he actually encouraged skepticism, right? He said, right. I'm, this is how things are, in my view. Go forth and see if it's the same for you. You don't have to, you know, I'm not writing this down. If you don't follow it, you're finished. You're done. You're done for. He says, this is, this is what's right in my view. Go forth and do it. And, you know, your life will be different. You'll get enlightened. You'll experience an awakening. So I take the parts that I come across that seem useful to me and incorporate them, meditate on them, use them. And, you know, the other interesting part is, it, there are things now over the last three years that didn't have meaning. I didn't understand. I didn't quite get it. But now it can be the oddest thing. It could be one of our Sangha members or you or a book or any, any number of sources, podcast, YouTube, whatever. And boy, some concept will just click like it never has before. Just, mm. just from some simple thing that somebody said. And all of a sudden that thing I wrote off is now powerful and interesting and and i understand it little you know? seeds little seeds planted yeah little lights on the path that you know you walk past some of them or you blink and you know uh, it's i don't know it's interesting that the the investigative part of the buddhist practice uh, taken seriously is absolutely one of the most attractive parts of it to me just like it is for you you say you people would know you're a skeptic well if you're buddhist actually or you practice buddhism that it's actually kind of inherent right because the, the buddha the original buddha the dude said hey be skeptical like that was his mandate so it fits well with people that you know like to question like to investigate it's a good fit so, you know, the, that sort of leads me to the, you know, the next part of it is that, you know, as a, as a practitioner, I now see and find things in other material and from other sources, maybe even religions, that I endeavor to understand and where, you know, call it 20 years ago, I would not have even looked that way. I would have gritted my teeth and said, oh, that's a, you know, that's a thing from one of those people and I am not going to even listen. And I hear a lot of wisdom from a lot of sources. And I think that is a natural place to be. And I think that is a positive and practical position to take on your path 
that you can, you know, read something from another, an absolute other religion or listen to a sermon by, you know, someone in a different path and hear the wisdom in it. There's, you know, Ramdas said it beautifully that we're all walking each other home. We're all going to the same place and maybe it's not the same road, but we're all getting to the same, the same understanding. And I do get a little, we talked about this a little bit, um, that I get a little disappointed in practitioners, Buddhist practitioners who, you know, take a negative stance toward others that are even practicing in different schools of Buddhism and not reacting skillfully in that because it's ours to individually understand and know by our own compass what is right, wise, complete, and true through our investigation, our own investigation. You know, I'm, for attempting to live in the present, I'm still fascinated by history. And I, I am, this is a topic for a different podcast or a different time on, you know, who knows, but I'm fascinated by the facets of Buddhism or the teachings that sort of exist in places you don't expect them. Uh, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because I'm those, those, that, that's still a, that's still a primordial ooze in my brain right now. <laughs> uh, however, uh, you know, I will say that, that all, the, the, the great sort of leaders of the big religions in the world, at least a few of them, like Muhammad or Jesus or Buddha, you know, they had some core beliefs that were pretty, pretty similar, you know, don't harm others, uh, be honest, you know, don't steal. Uh, they're basic behaviors, but they real, it's the same style of stuff. And you're probably talking about uh, things that are a little deeper, more subtle than that, but, you know, just don't I think it's probably wise if we don't say that Jesus was Buddhist even though we both were raised Christian and baptized and we have some history there uh, well let's know. I mean we just let's just clarify it that you know Jesus was not a Christian and Buddha was not a Buddhist <laughs> like it's true right the you know the the That's path of, you know, the path of embracing their teachings have become schools of thought. That's not what, you know, it's not like they picked up a book and said, hey, I'm going to be a Buddhist. And now Buddha's a Buddhist. You know, he got there through trial and error and a wakeful understanding of what was happening around him. It was his own endeavor, Christ's own endeavor to find what was truth. Yeah. And not truth that's 
because it was written down or truth because someone said it louder than the other person did. The Dalai Lama routinely says uh, you can be any religion and Buddhist uh, routinely. There's a ton of value in that. And I think, and, and uh, this is pretty novice opinion, <laughs> but from, from my view, if you are a devout, you know, committed Buddhist practitioner, or you're a devout, committed Christian, a lot of your life looks a lot alike. There's a lot of similarity in how your day goes, right. in how you treat people, in your level of contentment with yourself and others. You know, it looks a lot alike to do right by yourself and by other people, no matter what book you read or language it's in or how many versions there are right compassion know. is compassion kindness is kindness love is love no matter what flag it flies under yep yeah that's that's really beautiful you know it makes me sad to like you said you get it's it's sadness or suffering or discomfort when you see other Buddhists even being exclusionary of Buddhists, let alone, you know, some other religion that millions and of very wonderful people follow. Like, uh, but, you know, I, I hate to see other religions. I hate to see anybody uh, excluding people uh, yeah. based on some, title or slogan you mentioned under the flag and it just makes you think of diversity and and mm -hmm. all the ways that people try to try to keep their their little thing safe and it's the right thing and it's a bubble they're in the bubble everybody has a bubble you live in the bubble and nothing you don't want anything getting in and you don't want anything getting out because <laughs> your bubble is the perfect bubble and you know in reality it we're we're, we're there's a much bigger bubble right that we can't even imagine the ends of that is everything that it's is everything. literally everything everything which doesn't even explain it properly well like to, there's an you know, there's an everything of everything everything go back to you know ramdas's teaching of you know we're all walking each other home where's home home's right. everything the entirety of everything yeah and the you know the pulse of truth and love and compassion that pulses through that everythingness that's not just oh if you followed this path now you have the key right right do xyz in in abc order and poof, <laughs> poof. you're ready you're in you're in it's over you're in fun to relax take it take it take a load off you're everybody's good i don't you know it feels like the lazy path and i know that feels a that sounds a little judgy um but it, it feels like it is it feels it like is. the lazy path you know <laughs> through through my discernment i think that you know if i don't put in if i don't put in the work to understand what i'm understanding and not just finding the ease of 
of validation and verification that my peers say, oh yeah, he checks all these boxes and he believes all these things. So he is this. You know, and I'm not disagreeing with you at all because practicing Buddhism requires work, just like any activity endeavor, you have to work at it. Uh, but I would challenge you a little bit on the laziness because don't you think for the folks that aren't able to do that or to really do that to a certain degree, don't you, maybe, maybe they're already, maybe they're working really hard to get to the point they're at. Of just accepting, you mean of just sure. accepting someone else's opinions? Maybe, maybe, I mean, people are different, man. I, know, I get that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not, like I said, it's not a, it's not a controversial thing or, uh, and I don't disagree with you. It's just, um, you know, you see that, like, I, I, I'm flat, I'm thinking about your story about, and we've all been to the hardware store and buying bushes and paint and doing projects. So, and half the people or more don't have a mask and they got kids and they're all close to each other. And it just feels very unsafe. If, if you have a mask and, you know, but maybe that's the best they can manage with yeah. whatever they're in. You know, maybe that's their le that's reflective of their level of discomfort and suffering. And right, the fallback know. is to not do anything. Yeah, they yeah. may be at their limit. You know, it's an interesting thing uh, because I've defended uh, indigent, uh, poor people uh, in criminal cases for so long you know, there's a thing where when you're poor or you're uh, stressed over money that you're, they did a study somewhat recently, your decision-making ability goes down a fairly hefty percentage, like your IQ drops yeah. because you're so overwhelmed with this survival sort of, you know, I think your lizard brain takes over and you're, you're on a different, different wavelength. So, so, acting on some of these things is really hard, I think, for folks. Right. Yeah. And I know you aren't criticizing him or anything. It's not. No, I can hear that. I can, I can understand yeah. that we all have to start from where we are and there's not, you know, everyone is not going to have the ability to process in the same way. And it, you know, it certainly depends on your, the climate that you live yeah. within yeah. you know if you're if you're encouraged to think on your own and stand on your own confidence yeah. and not just the you know the collective platform of someone else's belief i can get i can understand that i got it i got it it's like running a relay race where everybody starts in a different spot but the finish line is the same for everybody. You might even go in different directions. You know, I was perfectly happy with that analogy that I just thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I keep thinking of that, um, the Jeremy Barramy on the... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the good place. On the good place. Yes. Or the, it was the... the timeline you know the how how time looks and you know if you write in cursive jeremy barramy 
<laughs> that, that's what the timeline looks like. And they asked, well, what about the, what about the eye? And they were like, oh, that's um, Tuesdays and sometimes never. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tuesdays and sometimes never. I would. I, I'm. I'm fascinated. If I ever get a chance to to ask, you know, ever run into a writer or have an opportunity to ask them, I'm absolutely. I'm. I'd be fascinated to know whether they intentionally stuck Buddhist stuff in there. I'm sure they did. I. I mean, it's quite obvious, but I'd just like to know the background on that. You know, like if they how much work they put into that because yeah. there's other religions in there too of course so right. yeah i think he's the creator is definitely a thinker absolutely yeah which you know what that's way more important than a label right because thinking is is where we start that's where we start our practice yeah well and again you know that's part of the reason that i have been attracted to this path and you know understanding that it is considered you know the thinking person's path that you know it's not easy because it's it requires you to think and inquire and yeah. look into what doesn't feel like i like it not just adopting the things that i like but instead look into the things that make me uncomfortable look at the things that i that i have an aversion to and understand and inquire why why do i why do i push that away why do i not want to adopt that and really understand why and sometimes it's not that it's a a bad idea it just feels uncomfortable to do it uncomfortable it's like you know you could call it masochistic uh, there are very few you know psychotherapy like there are things in the world that try to help you feel better that tell you to figure out why you did this unskillful terrible rough bad thing to yourself or others right uh but to embrace embrace it like this is this is part of the practice holy cow man well that's a I mean, whole another use another example and you know you and i you and i can both um attest we're we're on the fluffier side. So, you know, look at, you know, look at lies, you know, all lies. Look at, you know, diet and exercise and oh, adopting, you know, you know, the, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't it hurts. Do it. it feels it bad. It's hard. It makes me tired. I I'm like cake. hungry. <laughs> I like ice cream. I love cooking. I love flavors. So there's a discomfort in adopting what yeah. is actually the right path. So, you know, as yeah. something simple as, as that, as our own health and our own, yeah. you know, benefit of diet and exercise and yeah. how that's so, can be so completely, you know, I don't want to participate. I don't want to do it because it, feels uncomfortable and there's a lot of things that we make the determination whether they are worthy based on the discernment of like and dislike which is not yep. the path so the yep. path is really you know the inquiry of you know what is wise and skillful 
and praised by the, by the wise and skillful, and that we can adopt into our daily lives. Tell you, tell you what's really hard is when, when your like or dislike becomes a habit, and then you're 40, 40 plus years old, and look out world. Right. <laughs> Knock that's yourself a, out. Ch change change that behavior. Right. That like is a lot Man. of lust too. <laughs> like, <clears throat> I'm lusting for the for the cupcake. It grows. That monster within it grows and grows and makes your life just you just cruise right on through it. <clears throat> Mindlessly and thoughtlessly. Yeah, that's mindlessly yeah. and thoughtlessly. Yeah. I, I agree. Yep. I agree. So don't do that, folks. It, <laughs> just stop that. <laughs> Put that in your practice. So I like the idea of don't go by reports, by legends, by traditions, by scripture, by logical conjecture, by inference, by analogies, by agreement through pondering views, by probability or by thought. really contemplate what is wise, right, complete, and true in each of our experiences. The wisdom of self-inquiry leads us to wise and complete action by having a wise and complete view and understanding of what is true. Standing on our own confidence of having walked the road of introspection is unshakable. Unskillful are those who stand on the opinions of others, which lead us to misdeeds and negative karma. Skillful are those who act on the reality of truth for the welfare and happiness of all. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in for another Backyard Buddhist podcast. And thanks to my co-host, Danny. Danny, thanks. Paolo, as always, thank you for this. And folks, remember, meditate as fast as you can. Bye now. <laughs>